Hello, friends. We have a book coming out finally, and it is awesome. You're going to make me say the title again? Yeah. Fine. It's Stuff You Should Know, colon, An Incomplete Compendium of Mostly Interesting Things. And get this, Chuck. You don't have to wait to order until the book comes out. You can do what we in the book biz call pre-ordering it. And then when it does come out, you'll be the first to get it. Or among the first. Well, and not only that, you get a pre-order gift. You get this cool custom poster from the illustrator of the book, Carly Minardo, who is awesome. We worked with another great writer who helped us out with this thing a great deal. His name is Nils Parker. And Mm -hmm. it was just a a big team effort. And it's really, really cool. We love how it's turning out. Yeah, we do. So anywhere you can buy books, you can go pre-order the Stuff You Should Know, colon, An Incomplete Compendium of Mostly Interesting Things. And then after you do, you can go on over to StuffYouShouldReadBooks.com and upload your receipt and get that pre-order poster. So thank you in advance for everybody who is pre-ordering. That means quite a bit to us, uh, and we appreciate you. StuffYouShouldReadBooks.com. Pre-order now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Joshua Joshi um, Clark, uh, and there's Charles W. Charles Chuck Wayne, Chuck Wayne, Twain Bryant, <laughs> and Jerry the J-Dog Roland is floating around somewhere in the ether. So this is stuff you should know, everybody. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this is uh, the episode I'm nervous about. Why? Because of Emily. Of... Oh, well, what's, I mean, why? Oh, because she knows so much about it, she's going to be like, uh, you got this wrong, that wrong. Not, not so much getting it wrong, just, you know, it's one of these that's close to her heart, so I feel like i got to do right by it. Oh, I'm sure you will. Like, I usually don't care at all about anything we ever talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But this one I care about. You're like a nihilist, like flea. (laughs) Hey, by the way, we should mention, uh, we got a book coming out. Yeah, we do. Um, Which, not only do we have a book coming out, we have a pre-order gift that's ready to go now, too, I think. We have a pre-order gift, which is a custom poster. It's so uh, great. Written by us and designed by uh, Carly, our amazing illustrator for the book. Yeah, that's right. And we even have a book website now. Oh, is it up already? Yeah. Have you seen this thing? Yeah, I saw the drafts of it. I didn't see that it was up. I'm so glad you're handling things. So thank you for doing <laughs> that. Uh, yes, and that is stuff you should read books.com. So great. Oh, and it's it looks great. The webpage looks awesome, and it gives you a little excerpts, and mm-hmm. you get a little peek inside. It, it looks way better than our actual site, like our regular <laughs> stuff. You should know site. It's great. We're working on that too. Though we right? are, we are. But so here's the deal: you can go anywhere and pre-order the book now, uh, and then come. I think sometime in uh, is it October, November, Chuck. The, when the pre-order gifts no, are when coming? No, when the actual book arrives, when it comes out. I think we pushed it back a little bit into November, right? Okay. So it, you will eventually get the book. But in the meantime, if you go on to the website, uh, stuffyoushouldreadbooks.com, um, you can upload an image of your receipt and they'll say, oh, thank you for pre-ordering the book. Here's your pre-order gift. And you can hang it in your room next to the torn out posters from Tiger Beat magazine. Wasn't it Teen Beat? 
<laughs> I don't think so, smart, smarty pants. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to be mentioning this a lot because, uh, as John Hodgman told us, the secret is to ABC, ABP, always be plug-in. That's why I know. Man, that is, it's going to be on his headstone. And there'll probably be a QR code on his headstone so he can buy his books. <laughs> oh, man, it's a great idea. Um, so we're talking today not about books necessarily. We're talking more about essential oils than books, although there's plenty of books on essential oils, but that has nothing to do with our book. Instead, right. essential oils has to do with our podcast, in particular, this episode of our podcast, which is on essential oils. That's right. And these are the oils, uh, these little chemicals that are stored in plants, mm-hmm. uh, in the glands of all different kinds of plants and all over the plants, from petals to stems mm-hmm. to roots. And depending on where you are in the plant, you might be getting a different kind of oil from that particular spot. Yeah, there there might be a certain type of essential oil found in the seeds and a totally different one found in the leaves or the roots or the bark or um, the stems, the twigs, the hair, the teeth. Basically, every part of the plant can hold some sort of Um, essential oil. And one of the things that I love about this, Chuck, is that science isn't 100% sure exactly what the functions are of essential oils, but they know that it's some form of communication. I mean, like scent is a form of communication in the plant world and the animal world. Um, And these communicate different things, likely things like get away cow. I don't want you near me and eating me. Instead, bring on the honeybee to help pollinate me. That's right. And we'll get into um, what they have been used for and are used for. But mm-hmm. uh, it's safe to say that since the times of ancient Egypt, people have been using essential oils, uh, certainly back then before there was modern medicine yeah. uh, as medicine. Right. So so we'll talk about all this. Let's, let's get into it. Also, a big shout out to Julia Layton for helping us out with this one. Yeah, Julia's back in the rotation. Very mm-hmm. happy about that. Yep, for sure. So, um, essential oils to us, you know what an essential oil is. Most people do. Um, but as far as, like, plants go, as far as chemistry goes, they're really just a certain kind of compound. You can divide them into two different categories. One is oxidated compounds, and the other is hydrocarbons. And oxidated compounds come in all different forms and shapes, things like alcohols, phenols, oxides, esters, aldehydes. Um, and then on the hydrocarbon side, there's a they fall under one category called terpenes. If you uh, have ever been in a drug education class and the the, uh, educator brought out that briefcase full of different drugs, you may have gotten a whiff of the marijuana. That is the terpenes in the marijuana that give it that distinctive smell. That's right. And by the way, I'm going to read it on a listener mail at some point. Uh, Someone said that we should not use the term marijuana anymore. Oh my gosh, why? And, And use the term cannabis because apparently the term marijuana was created as sort of a racist term uh, to make it sound oh, wow. <laughs> foreign, south of the border, wow, and evil. Yeah, wow. News well, to me. So we'll. Uh, it makes sense. We'll, <laughs> yeah, sure. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll start calling it um, X Sweet Factor. Herb. <laughs> okay, that's the new name for pot, everybody. X Factor. 
<laughs> I think that's a TV show. We might get sued. That's a Joe Rogan TV show, wasn't it? No, that was Fear Factor. I bet you anything there was an X Factor, and I bet Joe Rogan had something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, we got to come up with a good name for the spinoff. So you were talking about, um, like you mentioned one thing. You said something about an alcohol. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what? In a plant? Mm-hmm. But that's true. Like, uh, if you look at peppermint oil, that that great scent that you get from peppermint oil is mm-hmm. the alcohol menthol. Right, and all of these all of these different things. They're different kinds of compounds. They're um, they have different kinds of atoms put together. They do different things. They provide different functions. Again, they probably all largely have to do with plant communication to other plants or to animals, but. They smell different. They combine to make different smells. The thing that they all have in common is that essential oils are all VOCs, volatile organic compounds, which are just a type of compound, usually, I guess, carbon-based. They might have to be, yeah, because it's organic. So they're all carbon-based compounds that have in common the fact that at room temperature or at low temperatures, they um, evaporate. They have their their boiling point is so low that it, it happens at room temperature, and it can happen at such a low point that it doesn't actually even go from solid, you know, alcohols to to uh, liquid into gas. It can sublimate sometimes just from solid into gas, and it's that gas that spreads out off of the plants, stems or leaves or ro- or petals, whatever, and and hit our olfactory senses through our nose and we smell. But that's all it is. It's a compound that, that vaporizes very easily at low temperatures and spreads through the air. Yeah. And, it you know, those little tiny droplets, they diffuse through the cell membrane. And then all of a sudden, they're on the surface of the plant just waiting mm-hmm. for somebody's nostrils to come by. It's kind of like that, that old question, like, if a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound? <laughs> like, if, a, if there's nobody there to smell a volatile organic compound— does it actually smell? And the answer is clearly yes. <laughs> yeah. And just the, the tiniest, I mean, sometimes you can just smell with your nose and it smells great, but sometimes the tiniest bit of activation will get it going. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things to do is uh, on a walk when someone's got one of those big, beautiful rosemary bushes out in there uh, by the sidewalk, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, Emily and I both and, and my daughter too just run our hands up one of those stalks. Sure. And just rub our hands together, and you got delicious steak hands. Which is why, I mean, that's also a good example why if you grow rosemary that you use in your food, you want to grow it away from the sidewalk. Because <laughs> who knows people are touching who it. is walking by with what on their hands rubbing your food, basically. Hey, man, if, you, if you've got uh, mm. edibles in your front yard, then... That's your fault. I no, I'm saying, yeah, they're totally. up for grabs. But you, so you, you need like the public rosemary bush for people to walk by and smell. Then you need like your head stash rosemary bush up by your house, you know. Right, and if you go up to the house, you can lean out the window and say, "Hey, sir, that's my private bush." Stay away. Steer clear. <laughs> Steer clear. So, um, okay, so volatile organic compounds. We've kind of gotten that across, I think. Um, it, and with essential oils, this is, I think, pretty essential to know, Hmm. when you smell something like lavender or rose or 
uh, juniper, something like that. Like, you know what that smell smells like. And from researching this stuff, I think scientists have managed to um, isolate the essential oils found in like 3,000 different species of plants so far. Um, It's amazing. 300 of of which, and we'll talk about this more later, but 300 of which have been shown to have some sort of biomedical properties, which is pretty important. Um, But from all of these, they've realized there is a central player Right? Like, um, what was the one that you called out? Peppermint oils? Menthol? Uh-huh. It's a type of alcohol. And, but if you just smell menthol, you're, you're not like, that, that smells like peppermint. Instead, the essential oil is that main component, that main volatile organic compound, with dozens or hundreds of others in varying quantities and amounts, all mixed together just perfectly so that you have not menthol, but peppermint, the essential oil of peppermint. Um, And that is what an essential oil is. It's a really intricate, complex combination of volatile organic compounds that is the essence of that plant. That's right. The essence of the plant. That's exactly perfectly said. And I'll just say this now. We're going to talk about them in a minute, but there is a Swiss chemist, Chuck, um, named uh, Paracelsus. Mm -hmm. And he was an alchemist. And it turns out the alchemists are the ones who coined the term essential oil because the alchemists believed in five elements. The four elements were earth, wind, water, and fire. And then there was a fifth element that was like elusive. It was the one that bound all the other elements together and just, it was the glue that bound reality and existence in the universe together. And so, quintessential comes from quinta essence, meaning the fifth essence or the fifth element. And so oh, quintessential is was shortened eventually into essential oil, which was the thought to be the purest, most um, basic fundamental essence of a plant. So that's where we get essential oil is from alchemists. Boy, why wasn't there a soul band in the 70s named the fifth essence? <laughs> Featuring Billy D. Williams. They could open for Earth, Wind, and Fire and for Water. Sure. Yep. And they would have done the soundtrack to the fifth element. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So uh, if we go back in time, if we hop in the old Wayback Machine, boy, we haven't been in this thing for a while. No, let's think hear about it. it. Kick it, Jerry. It's fired up. Yeah. It smells a little musty. <laughs> I don't think we've been in this thing since in 2020, have we? Well, you didn't dry out the life preservers from last time. You just threw them in there in a pile, and now they're all moldy. That's true. Well, luckily, we have some essential oils on hand (laughs) because we're going back to ancient Egypt. And this is when they started using uh, essential oils, uh, integrating them into medicine. Um, The trades between, you know, of course, in, in China, they were doing stuff like this. And the Orient... And trade uh, routes between the Orient and the Mediterranean really opened up this up, uh, opened up this trade to these sort of magical oils, as far as they were concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know it's not magic now, it's kind but of... back back then, this was this was early medicine, you know. For sure, yeah, and I mean, it was it, it was used in traditional Chinese medicine, still is. Um, it spread from uh, Egypt to the Mediterranean to the Greeks to the Romans. 
um, over to the Persians who figured out how to distill ethyl alcohol from sugar, which yeah, would that was become a, a really big component in um, ex- extra- extracting essential oils from plants. It was a huge innovation. Um, and then that trickled over to Europe in the Middle Ages, and um, that is where we join up with our friend Paracelsus, that Swiss chemist whose birth name was Philippus Theophrastus Areolus Bombastus von Hohenheim. Oh, man. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Just von Hohenheim yeah. gets him a, a <laughs> statue in my mind. You know? Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. But he was known as the Luther of medicine because at the time people were like, oh, this Galen guy had it all figured out. There's four right. humors and that explains everything. He's like, no, no, let's use like evidence-based science. Let's use things like chemistry. And this guy was an alchemist even. And he died bitter and angry because no one would listen to him. But he uh, really helped kind of push things forward as far as reforming science into thinking scientifically is concerned. Yeah, and he was a big proponent of these uh, plant oils that he was extracting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the compositions were revealed in the 19th century. And then, of course, you know, the 20th century comes along and we get much more efficient with our extraction. And that just means more essential oils, which means um, more experimentation, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know. In a good smoking way. Smoking a little X Factor and <laughs> a little fooling around. Who knows? Should we take a break? <laughs> Definitely now. All right, let's take a break, and we'll talk about this extraction uh, process, something that I see under my deck a lot these days, right after this. So I want to say something, Chuck, with extraction. Um, one of the reasons why essential oils are so expensive, and if you get really good essential oil, it, you're going to pay a lot for it. I saw if you bought a liter, which seems like a lot of rose oil, but if you're going to turn around and sell it in smaller amounts to other people, you would probably buy a liter. If you have $21,000 to cough up for a single liter of rose oil— and the reason why essential oils are so expensive is because it takes so much plant material to to get that uh, uh, essence from it, right? So with with roses in particular, you can expect to need about five metric tons of rose petals just to get a kilogram of rose oil, uh, three thousand lemons to get a kilogram of lemon oil. And something like 440 pounds of fresh lavender flowers to get a a kilogram of lavender essential oil. Yeah, for our American friends who are like, dude, what are you even talking about? Um, 600 pounds of rose petals for one ounce Mm -hmm. of essential oil or 40 to 60 rosebuds for a single drop of rose auto essential oil. Isn't that that's amazing? amazing. I love stuff like that. Well, uh, and essential oils are my favorite new thing. No, it's cool, but it's also, you know, sustainability is an issue because of that. Oh, yeah. Um, they use the most plant material to produce, produce that very small amount of oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're throwing away the rest of the plant. Well, yeah, I mean, that is true. But here's another way to look at it, Chuck. If, if the 
purpose of life, genetically speaking, is to multiply as, as much as possible. We are helping plants by propagating them, and we're doing it because those plants are producing a smell that we like. So in this sense, we are the slaves of plants who we're propagating as much as we possibly can to produce that smell more. Yeah, and, you know, Emily's all about essential oils for sure, but she's also gotten much more into using the whole herb and the whole plant Mm -hmm. um, and trying to use, like, as much as the plant as possible, which is pretty cool. She's like, here, just stick this whole twig of rosemary up your nose and you'll be fine. (laughs) She's really learned a lot, man. It's, It's pretty impressive to see, you know, and inspiring to see someone learning so much, you know, midlife, uh, something brand new, like going back to school, basically. Yeah, I, I, I can actually attest this is not a paid plug, everybody. Chuck does not give me money for these. Um, we got some soaps and some room sprays, I think I told you, from uh, from Emily, from her, oh, from yeah. her company. And um, nice. we actually sent some to uh, some friends and within like a couple of weeks, they were asking, you they know, they were dead. Where, where can we? <laughs> <laughs> they said, where can we get some more of this? Because we're spraying this lavender spray on our pillows every night to go to sleep, and they wanted to make sure that they could secure more because they were halfway through the bottle that we sent them. Not even oh, like nice. we're out. Where you know, where'd you guys get this? Uh-huh. It was we're halfway through. We want to make sure we can get some more. So Emily's oh, making nice. the good stuff for sure. That's right. And go to loveyourmama.com and, and check it out. She's a small business and they're all hurting right now. So we always appreciate the business. Yep. So uh, extraction, there are uh, have been a lot of different methods over the years, as Emily told me. She's like, you know, these are all ancient methods or not all ancient methods, but uh, many of these are ancient methods. Does she say things like low first? Low, <laughs> these be ancient methods. <laughs> because <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> she does say enflorage. Okay, that's good. Which is a very interesting um, older technique where you isolate these essential oils by using purified fats. And this all sounds gross, Mm -hmm. but what you would do back in the day, and I'm I'm sure there are probably still some people doing it this way, um, and you can probably go like pay $5 to watch them dress up in old-timey clothes and stuff and do this. But you would get a tallow and lard mixture and spread it out on a flat surface, and then uh, the first thing you have to do with any of these is you got to crush up the plants really well. And you you coat it with these crushed up plants, and the fat absorbs these VOCs. Uh, it takes a few days. Mm-hmm. Then you filter out those plant parts, you know, because you don't want those around anymore. You've gotten what you needed from them. <laughs> You're done with them. Get out of my sight. And then uh, the fat will eventually become saturated with this essential oil, and then you extract that oil uh, with a solvent, basically like alcohol. Uh, yeah, from what I saw, though, it's this is a multi-step process where once you extract or once you get rid of like the plant material, once you've gotten the essential oil out of it, you repeat the process again and again and again until like the fat is saturated with essential oil. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. And that, I mean, that's great. That seems very ancient indeed. Um, and there's another variation of it called maceration, hot fat which is um, where you do the same thing, but you, you warm the fat to kind of speed up the absorption process. So I guess that means that um, essential oils, or at least certain kinds of them, are fat-soluble is what I'm taking from this. Yeah, I couldn't really figure out this maceration. That may be a, an old term uh-huh. um, because, like, a macerated oil is basically an infused oil. 
yeah. where you use a, a carrier oil now. Yeah, my understanding or my familiarity with maceration is um, when you make a shrub, a vinegar shrub to put in oh, okay. cocktails or whatever, uh-huh. macerating is where you basically chemically mash the fruit by putting so much sugar on it that it just breaks it down. Mm-hmm. And then you take that and add vinegar to it and shake it up and let it sit for a few weeks and thank me later. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite ways of extraction is good old-fashioned mechanical expression, mm-hmm. uh, another good band name. And this yeah. is like uh, citrus rinds, yeah. like all those great essential oils that you get from an orange peel or a, or a lemon peel. Mm-hmm. And you cold press this stuff and just extract those oils with good old-fashioned elbow grease. This is what Lucille Ball was doing to those grapes in that classic episode where she's mashing grapes by jumping around a tub with another lady. <laughs> I mean, is there anything better than taking a, a, a lemon twist and squeezing that thing into a drink and seeing those little, that citrus sneeze come out of it? Yeah, and then like the it kind of floats like oil on top of the the drink it's oh, when you get it just right it it is very satisfying agreed it's nice. or to you know if you ever just like use some lemon juice and then throw away that lemon without using the peel for something then you're doing it wrong like oh, just yeah. spray it in the air spray it on your counter spray it on your hands do whatever oh friend this is what you do with a lemon peel you never throw <laughs> it away you throw it into your um garbage disposal and oh. you eventually run your garbage disposal, and not only does it make your garbage disposal smell really good, it actually disinfects the garbage disposal so that it doesn't smell funky. Nice. Yeah, do that. Like, if you drink a lot of lemon water, your garbage disposal is going to thank you for it. I saw one of those, and I hate calling them hacks, but one of those food hacks lists the other day. Mm-hmm. And this was pretty good. You take, instead of... Uh, Cutting the lemon and then getting like a cheesecloth or something to keep those seeds and things in there. Yeah. You just uh, roll it on the, you know, before you do anything, you roll it on the counter like a rolling pin with your hand. Yeah. And just get it all soft and squishy. Mm-hmm. And then you just stick like a like a, a skewer, like a kebab skewer mm-hmm. th- through the little, what is it called? The nipple? <laughs> sure. The nip. The nip of the lemon all the way through, and then that's just a little spout, and you can just squeeze the heck out of that thing. Oh, and wow. the only thing that's coming out is the juice. I've never heard of that food hack. It was a good one. You know what else we could call that part of the lemon is the, the lemon's moose knuckle. <laughs> oh, what do you Lord. think about that? <laughs> that or the nip? Make your choice. Uh, what else do we have? Well, Emily is a, a steam distiller. You know, she's got a still... Mm-hmm. And she uses a steam distillation process, which is very cool to see. So with steam distillation, it's basically the same thing that you would use to make um, like gin. The the still that we talked about in gin is basically the same thing where you've got some hot water that's producing steam. The steam rises up through like a grate or a grid or something. Um, It passes through that and then up past these mashed up bits of whatever plant you're extracting the essence from. And then that water vapor carries those essential oils from the mashed up plant up, 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 and then down, down, down again to another part of the still where it's cooled and turns into a combination of uh, oil and water. And correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong because I've never actually seen this firsthand. And then the oil and water goes into the final little 
area with a spigot at the bottom for the water and a spigot at the top for the oil, which will eventually start to float. That sounds about right. Okay, great. And then I saw something else, Chuck, that ties into another episode of ours that I found very satisfying. Ultrasound is used oh, right. sometimes to pre-mash the, um, or I guess pre-extract the essential oils. So you'll take, say, I saw a demonstration using this ultrasound wand, basically, and they just had a cup of water and um, like hops that they'd mashed up some hops, and they just stuck the ultrasound wand in the water and it made the water go crazy. And what they found is that using a lot less energy and even less plant material, you can extract more essential oil because the cavitation that's produced by those sound waves in the walls of the cells that hold the essential oil in the plant, mm-hmm. those cell walls get busted open. And so way ready. more essential oil comes out. So you can actually get more essential oil out of the plant and it takes lower temperature steam to lift oh, cool. that essential oil out. So there's no thermal degradation. There's a lot less thermal degradation. So you use less plant material, less energy to get more essential oil out. Thanks to the beauty of ultrasound. Now, before they did that uh, demonstration, did they say this wand has not been up anyone's butt? <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. That's how they start every single <laughs> video in Germany. <laughs> oh, boy. That was a German company. Sure. And they're into that kind of thing. Yeah, and Germans listen to this. Hey, Germany. Because uh, we have a, a specifically tailored ad for Germany, which I'm proud as punch about. Yeah. Guten Tag, everyone. Yeah. Uh, do you know what that means? Uh, it means this wand has not been up anybody's butt. That's right. Guten Tag. So the uses of essential oils, um, depending on who you ask, and we'll get into the controversies of how they're marketed uh, because there are some for sure. Yeah, a couple. Um, You know, if you read some sites, they'll say basically they'll cure anything or maybe not cure anything because you have to be careful of how you say things. No, they still say that. Do they? (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. Uh, But – Some of the legit uses of essential oils, um, they can be a preservative, they can be a flavoring agent, Mm -hmm. uh, they are certainly used as scent agents and all all kinds of things. Um, Emily makes her own insect repellent, mosquito repellent. What does she use? Like citronella? Um, Jeez, I should know this because I spray it all over my body like every night. (laughs) Yeah, you should. I don't know. I just trust her that she's doing it right. (laughs) Uh, it can be a fungicidal, herbicidal, and pesticidal yeah. agent yeah. for crops. And then there's aromatherapy, which we'll get into uh, in a few minutes as well. Yeah, and all of those will make a lot more sense in a second once we talk about the actual evidence-based research into what um, kind of biomedical properties essential oils have. Uh, one of the things that we found like pretty early on, and, and we should say there's, you know, Hundreds of essential oils that are used um, for aromatherapy or for industrial purposes, and we really have studied just a handful of them. But the ones that we have studied have turned up some pretty interesting results. Like we found that very clearly some essential oils are antimicrobial and antifungal as well. Some essential oils are both at the same time. Like clove oil, if you're a bacteria or a fungus, you do not want to be around clove oil because it is going to mess you up pretty bad. Worse than than Rocky on 
Draco eventually. <laughs> yeah, tea tree oil is something we use a lot in our house as well um, to, like, dry out a pimple, let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Or to heal something, uh, you know, uh, something like on your skin. It's very good for skin treatments. Yep. Uh, what else here? Um, I mean, and the, we should mention, too, the reason people are turning to these is because there's a big movement um, – and there always has been, but there's. it seems like it's really gained steam in the last decade of people trying to find uh, natural alternatives to um, synthetic treatments. Sure, which is laudable and commendable um, as long as the science backs it up. And part of the science also, too, is showing that it's not actually harmful, which we'll talk about, too. But one of the things that they're figuring out about essential oil, and they are scientists, I should say, is that because they have antifungal properties and antimicrobial properties, um, and because those properties survive being vaporized, that you could use the stuff as a spray for a cleaner, conceivably. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say, like, just stop using any other cleaner and just use clove oil, although we use clove oil a lot to disinfect things. We use lavender oil to disinfect things. So, I don't know, maybe do what you want. But... Um, we're probably going to start seeing more essential oils in cleaning products than we do even now. And they're starting to be all over the place. Yeah. I mean, the air-based disinfectant is pretty interesting. We use, um, you know, Emily makes room sprays. And those, I don't think, are so much for the disinfectant as just a good, you know, Mm scent-based poop cover-up. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I was just using it to make the room exponentially more pleasant. Yeah, but they're good to have in the bathroom. You know what I mean? What do you mean? <laughs> After you poop. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, another cool thing is is there is uh, increasingly there is drug resistance yeah. uh, among infectious microorganisms. And so that has opened up the doors for more research into the uh, anti-pathogenic uh, properties of essential oils. Because they're saying, like, hey, maybe some of this stuff can be replaced, these synthetic compounds with these natural compounds. So they're, so they're talking about MRSA here, right? So, w- like, one of the problems with MRSA is that it's resistant to the drugs we have. So even, right. if, you, even, if, even if you're like, I don't care if it's all natural or the most horrid industrial compound we've ever come up with, kill the MRSA because it can kill us and we can't treat it. Um, they're finding that the essential oil has properties that MRSA can't um, develop a resistance to. So not only can it right. kill MRSA, we would expect that MRSA is not eventually going to evolve to be resistant to these es- essential oils as well. Yeah, and um, I mean, maybe now would be a good time to take that next break because we, we're going to dive into aromatherapy, and that's the one area. Like you said, they've done... A, I wouldn't say a lot, but they're doing more and more studies on a handful of essential oils and their uh, and their uses. But aromatherapy is the one area where they still have not done a ton of studies, and that's probably the most uh, controversial area of essential oils, wouldn't you say? It is for sure. And before we take a break, I do want to say we're talking about individual studies that are basically the first steps in a scientific understanding of the properties, the biomedical properties of essential oils. So it's all like gee whiz and everything, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not settled by any, any stretch of the imagination. We're still just beginning to investigate this stuff. So bear that in mind as well. 
right, Chuck, we're back. That's right, to talk about aromatherapy. And um, this is when you get into how the different applications for essential oils. Mm-hmm. Um, there, And Emily told me to make sure I mentioned that there is uh, – there are people out there that are recommending people actually ingest essential oils hmm. uh, more and more, and she's saying don't do that. That sounds a lot like injecting bleach or um, <laughs> cleaner to to combat viruses. That's not that's not how these work. Yeah, she's saying uh, that there are people out there recommending that you literally ingest this stuff, and right. she's saying don't just don't do that. Um, it's a good it's PSA. Much, yeah, it's much much better in a tincture, uh, maybe, or uh, a topical thing, or in this case, we're talking about aromatherapy, which is breathing stuff in uh, either through your skin or into your mouth and mm-hmm. lungs. Yeah, but either way, apparently, however you ingest it like that through your lungs or your um, nose or mouth, um, it, you, your olfactory center is initiated. And it starts doing all sorts of different things depending on what the the what volatile organic compounds are hitting it, right? And one I found that was a, a really good example, my favorite smell of all time, lavender. And lavender, through some studies, lavender. isn't it great? Through mm-hmm. some studies, lavender has been shown to um, prevent serotonin reuptake. They, they've shown what kind of neuro, neurochemical mechanisms lavender affects our brains through. And one of them is it prevents serotonin transporters from doing their job. Once a serotonin transporter gets a hold of like a serotonin molecule, that thing gets taken out of your brain and you're no longer feeling your mood from that particular molecule of serotonin. Well, lavender, or specifically I think lavendule, which is a terpene from lavender, prevents the serotonin from taking up, or the serotonin transporter from taking up that serotonin. That's step one. And then another one is that it's an NDMA receptor antagonist, which puts it in the same class of chemicals, uh, the dissociative uh, chemicals as ketamine. So it does. It, it, they they've actually studied lavender now closely enough to say this is how it affects your brain, and it definitely does affect your brain. So there is something to the idea that uh, aromatherapy does have therapeutic effects, and lavender in particular. Now we understand how. Now, do you mean uh, SSRI potential, like a natural SSRI? I don't know, because I think part of the other thing about essential oils too is. Like the impact and the effects that they have on us are pronounced enough that we could study them and and see them. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be able to just take lavender pills as like a mood enhancer or to combat depression. It's just not pronounced enough for that. It could conceivably open a door to some some inquiry or some investigation that could lead to new synthetic compounds based on what we find. But just taking like lavender is not going to cure your depression from from anything I've seen. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. Some people might advocate for a complete replacement of, you know, a practitioner of TCM, let's say, might be like, no, nah, man, no, don't take any any of these uh, uh, quote-unquote Western medicines. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the only stuff that you need to be taking. But other people will say, hey, you can augment uh, with things like lavender or eucalyptus or cedar wood and stuff like that. 
I have no problem with augmenting. I have no problem with traditional medicine of any culture. As long as it works, it's not harmful to the user, and it's not harmful to other sentient beings or the planet. Those are really my only qualifications. As long as it works, just go for it. But just make sure that those those caveats are, are checked or else it's harmful. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about some of these uh, purported benefits of these various oils. Uh, we talked about lavender, of course. Relaxation sleep is uh, where you're going to see a lot of it, like spraying it on your pillow. Um, eucalyptus is a big one uh, for congestion, uh, for burns, for cold sores, uh, arthritis even. Uh, rose is a big one for anxiety. Uh, and a lot of these, too, have to do with skin things like eczema or dandruff mm-hmm. or uh, rosacea and stuff like that. And all of these, you should say, these are all ones that, like, the essential oil industry says, that not, not that science necessarily backs up, right? Well, that's what I meant by purported health benefits. Okay, gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. Uh, or if you play uh, uh, the video game Dead Red Redemption. Mm-hmm. You can spend a lot of your time gathering herbs because it's the Old West. What do you do with those herbs? You use them and craft uh, different things with them to help yourself. Oh, that's neat. Do they have X Factor in it in that game? <laughs> no. I got uh, bit by a rattlesnake the other day in the game, and it said, you've, you've been poisoned. Uh, you might want to go find some medicinal herbs and, and eat them. Did you survive? I survived, and that's I true. shot that snake too. You shot the snake? That's got to be tough. <laughs> to shoot a snake? Yeah. Uh, they are uh, tough to hit, yes, unless you pull out the old shotgun. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Someone who loves animals and hates hunting as much as I do really gets a kick out of hunting in this game. <laughs> well, it's different. I don't think it counts. Right. It's know? not real. <laughs> well, as far as we know, it's not real. Um, so, you know, some of these oils have been studied to a certain degree, um, and I like the way sh- that Julia puts this. Studied enough to confirm or strongly suggest a positive association mm-hmm. between oil and a health outcome. Mm-hmm. But it's tough because the uh, – and we'll get to the FDA part, but all these plants are different. And, it, and it's – when you're talking about these scientific studies, it's that's all built on consistency of the product that you're testing. Yeah, replication. And, yeah, and, and because these are plants, it's it's tough, but where depends on where the plant grows and what month you pick it and how it was uh, distilled. You know, it's, there's so many X factors. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Yeah, that that kind of confounds things, right? It does. And I mean, apparently, depending on the time of day, um, the plant might be producing different levels or types of of essential oil. And because no one has said this is the chemical compound of or the chemical recipe of um, lavender essential Mm -hmm. oil, because there's nothing like that, then even if you are trying to apply science to studying essential oils, you don't know if you're studying the exact same thing that somebody else is studying who's getting results that you're having trouble replicating. It's it's very – it's definitely – like the Wild West right now. Like people are getting bit by rattlesnakes level Wild West. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's important because it's not regulated by the FDA right now. Uh, It is, it falls in that weird gray area between Mm -hmm. uh, being a pharmaceutical uh, medicine and being a cosmetic. 
And so they aren't FDA regulated, so they don't have to go through that testing and approval process Mm -hmm. that uh, medicines do. Right. So technically they can make vague claims, like if you are an essential oil producer, you could take some of these studies that you found um, that may not have been peer-reviewed, that may have had a very small sample size, um, that may have been virtually made up, um, but that support your your claim that say things like, um, you know, Roman chamomile is good for heart health or something like that. You could put that on the label. But if you say something like Roman chamomile um, helps stave off heart disease, you'll, you'll, then you'll get a letter from the FDA saying like, hey, you're making health claims that you can't back up, that science certainly doesn't back up, and you need to stop. The problem is there's a lot of companies out there making these claims right now um, all over the place. And a lot of them come in the form of um, multi-level marketing or pyramid schemes. Like uh, I think Young Living is a really good example of that, where you can find um, Young Living products in your neighbor's garage or on Twitter or Instagram and uh, not necessarily in a store. And so it makes it very difficult because it's decentralized. It makes it difficult for the FDA to find out about this stuff. And then even when they do, they don't have a lot of recourse to, um, to stopping it aside from sending threatening letters, threatening, you know, legal action. Yeah, and I think they were the, one of the ones that um, markets to pregnant women specifically. Yeah, Isn't that, that right? one of them. Yeah, and this is where we get to like, this is why it's actually problematic. Yeah, I mean, you know, anytime that you're, um, anytime it's an, an unregulated substance and they're saying, hey, use this on your baby or use this if you're pregnant, and there's been so little peer reviewed research, then that's when it can get a little bit dodgy because there is very little research on how these oils uh, should be used at all on uh, on kids and babies. Right. As a matter of fact, I mean, there's um, a couple of, of companies. Um, let's see. Young Living um, has a like a series of essential oils that they recommend for different stages of pregnancy. Uh, Hopewell has a whole baby chart for, um, for your child to use for things like teething or... Um, ear infections, that kind of stuff. These are all essential oils. And the problem is, is some essential oils have been shown to actually potentially be harmful um, for women, for pregnant women. Like there's a whole class of essential oils that are um, that can produce sudden and heavy menstruation, which is not what you want to do when you're pregnant. So those oils should not be marketed toward pregnant women who should not be using them. Like rosemary is a really good example of that. It's actually used as an abortifacient in Brazil, in traditional medicine in Brazil, um, because it can bring on heavy, sudden menstruation. Um, so there's there's a lot of reasons not to use these things, depending on your situation, who you are. And the problem is, it's not, not only that kind of marketing is being avoided, they're actually being aggressively marketed toward women without proven results, but also without being proven as safe because they skate, you know, the, the edges around FDA regulation. Yeah, or that, you know, there may be like one study that is sort of cherry picked Mm -hmm. and overstated. Um, I know that in this article, it's mentioned a 2008 study about lemon oil uh, and the effects on mood. 
And in that study, they, you know, the subjects did say that their mood improved, but then uh, the scientists were like, well, your actual biological markers um, on stress and mood isn't really changing. So is it the placebo effect that's going right. on here? Which I mean, but that's, they that's said fine. they felt better. Yeah. And that's that's fine. The placebo effect is fine, Chuck. It's just that um, if you're not treating something else, or you're not you're not using something else to actually treat a problem, like lemon oil improving your mood, that's who cares. But if you're if you're using something that's actually harmful, then that that is problematic. And and what you were just talking about also about how you could just cherry-pick a study. That's essentially what we were doing toward the beginning of this podcast when we were saying there are some studies that have shown that it's, you know, these definitely do have antimicrobial and uh, antifungal properties. So maybe we'll end up seeing them as like, you know, aerosolized disinfectant spray in the future. That's really close to what some of these companies are doing. But instead, these companies are actually selling these things and saying, here, drink this or take this or use this, um, based on these cherry-picked studies. Yeah, and I know the company uh, Terra, T-E-R-R-A, um, they've come under fire. They're one of the, the giants of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2014, they got a big warning from the FDA about crossing that line into making uh, medical claims. And they're like, you know, you're, you're basically touting yourself as a, as a pharmaceutical, um, and, and you're not, basically. Yeah. So, so a really good example of this is um, some some essential oils. There are studies out there that have shown that they may have antiviral properties, right? Like how clove oil has antibacterial and antifungal properties. Some some essential oils are showing the possibility of being antiviral as well. So then those essential oils would be taken by a company like Young Living or um, doTERRA and market it as a cure for Ebola or coronavirus. That's right. a big problem. That's a huge leap that's totally unfounded and that people really should not be using rather than, say, seeking medical attention. Because you have to, you have to assume that somebody who is turning to essential oils to cure their Ebola— is probably doing so because they don't want to to use Western medicine. The problem is, is Western medicine is one of the few, if only, courses of treatment that has been shown to be able to take on Ebola, um, and certainly not something like clove oil. So that's really, again, I don't know if I'm getting this across or not, that's problematic. Same with um, using per, or marketing uh, essential oils to cure things like, and again, we're using the word cure here, Parkinson's disease, autism, diabetes, hypertension, cancer, insomnia, maybe insomnia, heart disease, PTSD, dementia, MS, uh, tetanus. All these things have been marketed to be curable by certain kinds or combinations of essential oil. And there's just not science to fully back that up or even come close to backing that up right now. Right. and But that's not to say that you can't use certain essential oils to help with uh, nausea because of your cancer treatments or right. something like that. Yeah, or uh, apparently lavender also is good with um, helping curtail um, agitation and aggression in dementia patients, which is great because those are really t- tough to treat um, pharmaceutically. So there is right. stuff that it can do. It's just 
it can't cure Ebola. Like, stop and think for a second. It can't, clove oil can't cure Ebola. I'm sorry. Maybe if you take an a, a, a Ebola virus and put it in a Petri dish and put a drop of clove oil on it, then yes, I would not bet you a single cent that that, that clove oil wouldn't kill the Ebola virus. I'm sure. But that's not how our bodies work inside. So stop and think for a second. If you actually are walking around believing that clove oil cures Ebola, stop for a second and just do me that favor. Just stop. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Just stop and think. Don't forget the second part. It's very important. Oh, see, I usually just stop. <laughs> that's not good. Thank you for uh, letting me go off there, Chuck. <laughs> Regardless, this is a big uh, industry, and uh, the market is is booming and growing. It's expected to reach seven point three billion uh, in just the next three or four years, and that's up from uh, about four and a half billion just last year in two thousand nineteen. Mm-hmm. And they're looking by twenty twenty six, fourteen billion dollar industry. Yeah, big money. It is big money. So, uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, I've said my piece, too. So, since we don't have anything else about essential oils, everybody, it's time, of course, for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this fellow Bruxist. (laughs) Uh, Hey, guys, just listen to your episode about Bruxism. I myself grind teeth like a champ, but I got really excited when I heard that Chuck and I have the same mouth. Uh, just went to the orthodontist, and the list of atrocities inside my mouth could take up a short stuff episode. So, Chuck, I feel your pain. I have a crossbite, a weird underbite. I feel like my lower jaw belongs in a different mouth just like you. I left the orthodontist feeling like a freak of nature. Uh, and hearing that one of my all-time favorite personalities has the exact same diagnosis made me feel less pitiful. Uh, eventually, I'll have that horrible jaw-breaking surgery. And the plan was to recover with cheeseburger smoothies and a Stuff You Should Know marathon. Now it'll mean a whole lot more. And that is from Erica McCarrens uh, from Memphis, Tennessee. And Erica, we, my family is from Memphis, so we, you might be my sister from another mother. <laughs> That's right. That's great. That was a good one. Thanks a lot, Erica. I'm glad Chuck can make you feel a little better about things because that's what Chuck does best, huh? Who's going to make me feel better? Me. Oh, okay. Or one of Emily's uh, room sprays will help too. Yeah, you need to I'm... get those things out of the bathroom and get them more involved into your life, Chuck. So they're, oh, dude, I'm uh, constantly being slathered and tinctured and poulticed and. Dippity I'm dude? Guinea, I'm a guinea pig. Nice. That's a pretty pleasant thing to be a guinea pig for, I have to say. Agreed. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, like, did. Erica. That's right, Erica. I just want to make sure you knew still, too. Uh, thanks again, Erica. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.